0: Welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title the group johnny swim offers this invitation if it matters let it matter so that's what we're going to do i invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor celebrate or lament and as we name what matters okay hello and welcome i'm so thankful you're joining me for this episode Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by one of my very favorite artists and iconographers, Kelly Lattimore, to discuss the role of icons in spiritual formation and social dialogue. This was such a riveting, robust conversation that literally left me thinking about it for days after we recorded. I do want to tell you a quick story here by way of giving you a heads up and an apology for my audio quality in this interview. My apartment flooded on February 14th through a sort of freak accident where um, a pipe burst and I was displaced for about three weeks, staying in a temporary apartment unit and then a hotel and at my parents' house and um, things have just been crazy. I am just now back home and getting things organized and cleaned out and replaced and all that, so... I set all my podcast recording gear back up for the first time in over three weeks, just a few minutes before I recorded this conversation, Um, and one of my settings had messed up, so it used the built-in microphone on my computer instead of my actual microphone, and so my audio picks up a lot of background noise, and it doesn't sound great in this episode. Kelly's, um, Kelly Lattimore's, sounds great. So I've done my best to edit this in a way where my audio is only heard where I'm when I'm actually talking, um, but even then it's not great. So I am so sorry. This will be actually the case in one more episode at the end of March uh, because I recorded them on the same day and didn't catch it. Um, but I promise to be more vigilant going forward and I appreciate you bearing with me for these two episodes that I mentioned where... My audio is sort of less than you've come to expect here. So with that, before we dive in, let me introduce Kelly to you, and we'll get started. Kelly Lattimore is an artist and iconographer from St. Louis, Missouri. He started painting icons in 2010 while a member of the Common Friars, a small monastic farming community in Athens, Ohio. Lattimore's icons often mix classic, orthodox, iconographic... iconographic. We'll go with that. Iconographic imagery with figures representing the marginalized and the oppressed among us here and now. His icon, Refugees, La Sagrada Familia, in which the flight to Egypt is interpreted as Latinx immigrants crossing the desert, adorns the cover of Pope Francis's book, A Stranger and You Welcomed Me. Lattimore has also created a diverse array of icons of unexpected saints, such as poet Mary Oliver, author James Baldwin, and TV host Mr. Rogers, and many, many more. Let's get into the show. Okay, Kelly, Lattimore, thank you so, so much for joining me here on the Let It Matter podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's just such a joy. I, I have um, at this point in the episode, I will have already given your bio and introduced listeners to um, how I came across your work. I'm not even sure. I think it was my rector at my previous parish that first introduced me. And then whenever she told me your name, I was like, oh, I've seen his artwork. I love art in general. Um, and and, uh, as you can say, I told you before we started recording, but as you can see behind me, not just yours, but sort of faith, faith inspired art <laughs> is, um, what I've really done in terms of my own, my own space at home is how I've sort of decorated it. Uh, but yours, I, I don't know how to say it. It just, the, the way that you capture emotion, the way that you capture, um, Gentleness, in particular, there's a there's a sort of severity sometimes to the the old school icons. Yes, um, sure. in addition to other aspects which we'll discuss, but the way that you capture compassion or gentleness or um, sorrow or bravery, there's just the way that you capture emotion. I think is really unique in particular to you, um, and so I'm just I couldn't be more thrilled to to be talking to you today about this.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Um, so let's start with a basic question for those who maybe don't know or aren't as familiar. What is an icon? Why is that different than a painting or an art, you know, regular artwork?
1: Yeah. Well, icon literally just is Greek for the word image. So there's that. And, um, but specifically, uh, since, you know, artwork had been going on, iconographer was really an, uh, an image writer. and even before the church, that was kind of a term for, for someone who made artwork. Uh, another way of interpretation I've heard is like depictor of life, which, you know, might as well be a painter (laughs) or an artist. Yeah, I love that though. Yeah. Um, but I think what happened is the church ended up engrafting that into its language, specifically the Greek Orthodox church and how it, uh, you know, talked about, uh, the work. And I think it then uh, ended up being something where, for the icon, it was really trying to, uh, as the, you know, the Eastern church really took iconography as its w- artwork in its churches, the Western church kind of t- took a little bit of that, but, you know, stained glass windows and kind of other, uh, you know, uh, things were for that. But, um, <clears throat> the icon is really what it's trying to do is take like symbol and meaning and put them. And an individual that's Christ, angels, Mary, the saints, and put all of those things together in such a proper way where it's made beautiful or it makes sense. (laughs) And so, but for, you know, centuries, uh, a lot of people within the church were illiterate and or in the Western church, they didn't, you know, know Latin. Um, So like iconography, icons, and stained glass windows, the art that we had was kind of the only way that people had an understanding of what was going on and so it really spoke a lot and and so it's really just uh, but the icon specifically in iconography in the history of the Eastern Church is really uh, was something that was uh, seen as a window to God or a window to a saint someone who lived you know life uh, you know following the teachings of Christ but also living a life you know fighting against injustice and uh, living a life of compassion and so what you know I can really be a window to these people and the lives that they live and so then how do you take that and, and learn from it and is a window to that person or window to God in Christ and then uh, the icon as it's also said is looking back at you almost asking you you know what are you going to do as, uh, to you know for someone's sake, further the kingdom or you know live a life of love you know care for the orphan care for the widow so it kind of does both things it's a window but it's also looking back at you.
0: A window and a mirror, yeah. yeah window and mirror. <laughs> um, right. I like that. It's um, I'm 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 so interested in this in the way that you talked about it historically, uh, the role of iconography um, in spiritual formation. You mentioned that for I mean millennia, centuries that the church. It's only been recently that people are even able and allowed legally to read the Bible in their own language, um, right. and to and to have access to so many. I mean, that we could get online and read 50 different translations right now is a very, very new thing. <laughs> right. um, and so in the Eastern Church, you mentioned, um, I, I'm I'm a part of the Episcopal Church. And even, um, you know, we we got our start with King Henry the um, Eighth, and and uh, the the way that he broke away from Rome, but even under his rule, it was, you couldn't, you were burned as a heretic if you were reading the Bible in English. Um, right. And this is in the late 1500s. This is not, you know, we're not talking about 300 AD. Um, and so even if you could read, you weren't allowed to. And then it came it comes into, you know, it's just such a recent development in, in history that yeah. people can even read, um, are being, you know, the common people not just the aristocracy or the, um, the nobility. And so um, I love that you, I love that you mentioned that I want to, I do want to talk a little bit more about um, and I, I want to say this from the beginning, this is going to be tough because this is an audio, this is podcast world right. that we're going to be talking about some of your specific images, but I want to tell people, I will be putting the images we're talking about in the um, Instagram post. Whenever I post that this, this episode is live. And so if, when you're listening to this, you're like, what are they talking about? I want to see more. Of course, you can go to Kelly's website and I'll link to all that in the show notes. Um, but I'll also um, put the image in, uh, just a little thumbnail of it in the Instagram post. So the specific ones we we're talking about, people can, um, can see those. <laughs> so yeah, um, so l- let's just talk a little bit more though, in terms of spiritual formation, the role of iconography in spiritual formation um we mentioned it historically how how does it form us still today i mean now that people can read they have the option to just read the bible but i find um particularly i would, i mean hasn't always been a part of my tradition i'll say it that way i grew up church of christ and then went to the southern baptist church and neither of those were super heavy my my expressions of them at least were super heavy in the sacraments and artwork and and iconography but the Episcopal Church still is and so I wonder if you can talk to us about spiritual formation today through iconography
1: yeah of course well for me I actually grew up as a pK a pastor's kid in a small uh, Protestant denomination my dad's still a pastor um, but my, really my upbringing was the same thing as like we didn't have icons we didn't have a lot of artwork there but it was it was really um, looking back on it, it was really a, a kind of a spiritual is about transcendence like Jesus and I versus the world almost which is like really damaging and but it wasn't it, was, it wasn't until later um, I ended up join, joining a small monastic farming community or it was a monastic community but our main mission was the Good Earth farm where we grew food for food pantries and um, it was doing that work and growing food alongside uh, strangers and uh, people who were actually in poverty when would come and volunteer with us and and we had free meals and uh, eucharist service during the week and all this stuff that just that whole experience really kind of brought me from transcendence to more so communion engagement embodiment Um, that the way that we use things in the world is of the utmost spiritual significance you know that's that during that time I started iconography and this first icon that I original icon I could go through kind of how I started but I, I, that's massive. what I was going to say.
0: If you yeah. can back up a little bit, how did you discover that this is something, A, you were extremely talented at, but B, um, that you had a particular point of vision for, or point of point of view for?
1: Well, I had always been, I've always been making art portraits, landscapes, what have you. But while I was there, uh, one of our members of the community, Father Tom, asked me, asked me if I had ever tried, time, and I hadn't. So I got really curious, and I just did what I got a bunch of books and I did what all artists do, but iconography specifically, as I just started tracing like over the old images. And I did that for months, just, you know, copying uh, scenes and saints and all this stuff. And, but then after a while, I was kind of reflecting on the work that we were doing, uh, farming and something that my, my best friend used to say all the time is, you know, we're growing food for food pantries and wanting to have a right relationship with the earth. How do we, um, as Jesus would say consider the lilies of the field and so that became the focus of my first icon and um, it's if you see it it's not like a great icon it's a good first try like Jesus is almost like surprised at the lilies in his hand the way I painted and the lines are really shaky um, but more towards formation I think yeah <laughs> well more towards formation and your question I think what it did is it showed me how um, well, what's beautiful about it is the community though they embraced it and because it was a part of our common experience and what we were doing, even though it was, you know, I say it wasn't a great uh, first icon. It was a good first try. But it really showed me how art can be a placeholder for community's thought, prayer, and most importantly, their action. And I think that's what um, icons are really doing, is that when we're choosing to put a saint or a scene um, of a somebody or, uh, you know, a parable of Jesus depicted in art, or, you know, all of these things, it's really saying something about what we as a community or as a person want to put in front of us. Um, and icons can, you know, for us, you know, in our homes, we have the pictures of people that we love. We have art that we love that reminds us of something, music, a song that we want to play when, you know, we're in a particular mood. <laughs> but for the church, the, uh, the sacred art for the church, I think that's a big question. Like, what is our artwork for? Is it for, is it glorified wallpaper? Or can it actually be something that teaches us how to see ourselves, each other, and God in new ways. And I think that that is really the work of formation. And I think for me, I've really encountered a lot of in a lot of the communities that I've encountered and I'm entering into this kind of holy pondering with them about what what they want to put in front of them and um and so therefore icon iconography is a really beautiful in a beautiful way is a very communal art which I like um so I get to and I kind of enter into some of this kind of conversation about formation and and how they want to you know see each other um and that really you gets mean, into so like like other-
0: w- when you get a commission for example right. like say from a church or from an organization you sort of the process you enter into with them is more than just what do you what image who do you want me to paint it's it's what do you want the image to reflect back to you and what do you want to put in front of yourself um, exactly. to form exactly. you? Is that what you're saying? Okay, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Um, There's a few that I want to mention in this in this sort of part of the conversation. So first of all, you just posted this one on Instagram. The Good Shepherdess is um, – I cried the first time I saw it. I don't know how else to say. Um, having grown up and and been formed so deeply for thirty years by traditions where not only was God were God's pronouns he him and only he him um, the every spiritual leader I had or knew or was exposed to was male, um, right. and so whenever in twenty nineteen I left the SBC and uh, found myself in the Episcopal Church, which was uh, which was a much longer process than it took that to say that sentence I'll say it that way. Um, I found myself at a, at a parish with uh, a rector who, the lead rector was Mother Catherine. And she has been, she was so formative to me. I brought her this gift when she left the parish just recently. And um, because um, it just, to me, it's, it, it says so much about, about women, about women spiritual leaders about spiritual mothering the way in the image and you guys you can see this on instagram the way she's holding the lamb um, that's so tender and so motherly and strong though and protective and there's all these things that i want in a rector and i want in a spiritual leader and i see reflected back to me and also just like you said um, I take very seriously any type of platform or leadership or public ministry that I do in my writing and podcasting and social media and um, the work I do for my diocese, That um, that's what I want to reflect back as well. That's who I want to be, and, um, and it sort of gave me, for all the lack of imagery I had through 30 years in my life of women shepherds, um, I now have one I look at every day every right. day, not just on Sundays or, <laughs> um, or when I go to church. And so uh, the good shepherdess was one. Um, I'd love to hear about that commission about who, who, or, or where you got the idea to paint. Uh, Cause I do believe you have a good shepherd one also, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so what the... was the, where was the idea behind the shepherdess?
1: Well, um, like you, I was grew up in a tradition that said women couldn't, pastors or lead in that way. Very damaging. I don't agree with it. Um, and I also, was funny enough, I went to a parish, what's called the good shepherd. And our, at the time, one of our rectors was mother Catherine, which is very funny. Um, and she's a wonderful woman, wonderful leader. And, um, but for me that I've had, I mean, I've had so many, you know, nuns, priests, uh, counselors, therapists, you know mother's sisters who have led me on my journey and to say that they can't lead in any way or be shepherds in their own way is just ridiculous <laughs> like right almost, you know um so there's that you can give the, the, us the
0: title or not but we're going to do it anyway because that is how right. God has wired us as well
1: yes <laughs> yeah of course yeah um and um i think for me though it's the woman who uh, commissioned it was a uh, a priest and her um it was a gift to her daughter, who was also becoming a priest. And I think that's really beautiful. And she had a lot of, um, her name is Sharon Swanson, Mother Sharon Swanson, and she, uh, but her, she had a lot of family that was from Shetland, Scotland. And they uh, was a kind of a really big tradition and, and certain parts of that area of, you know, it's pretty typical to have Uh, women being the shepherds of a lot of the the sheep flocks uh, um, at that part of the world and so the kind of the two both you know her having the same feeling is not only being a priest but all of the priests and and women and nuns and all these people who had influenced her in her journey becoming um, you know a pastor Um, and then you know her own daughter uh, going that same direction I think it it was a image that she couldn't shake out of her head and and I'm really honored that she asked me to kind of enter into honoring what that could look like and I could weep for days yeah (laughs) I (laughs) could weep for
0: days it's even the colors you chose and I and I think about this with all with you know all of yours but there there are some that have such bright bright and striking colors I'm thinking the transfiguration glitch and things like that um the this these colors are they are very Scotland um Mm. and and I and the I don't know I'm just so moved by it I could sit and look at it for hours that we will talk a little bit about Vizio Divina at the end of this conversation, but, um, but it is so, it's an affront to everyone who says this is not something that women should do, um, confronting and, and reparenting almost spiritually reparenting to see Mm. a mother, a a shepherdess in that role. Um, I want to, um, I could my problem is, I'm going to try to keep this distinct, but I could talk to you about this for days. Um, That's okay. <laughs> what um, I also want to talk about what role icons can have in social dialogue, um, and I'll tell you the reason I'm asking that is because not too long ago, uh, again, we've had another we had another mass shooting. Um, this time, I believe it was the um, the one in California around Lunar mm-hmm. New Year. Is so what I'm thinking of, um, and I saw you had reposted um your christ breaks the rifle icon um and i i had posted that crediting you of course but i had posted that as well on the podcast and um and there's that there are several others that christ breaks the rifle is the one i'm thinking of mostly but also the one you painted of george floyd and his mother um that there are oh mama yeah that's the one um for you know for obvious reasons to any who know that story it's just um, they speak so powerfully to a cultural and social moment and so I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit the the role iconography can have in social dialogue
1: of course well I mean so we just talked about you know icon icons can be this window to God or you know a mirror to us Um, but uh, Father Mark Brazitti-Jones is Episcopal priest in New York. Uh, New York. Uh, he, this is kind of his canned goods, but he likes to say that icons can also be iconoclastic, as in breaking oh. images, in the sense that there's something about the image of God that will always be resisted, and there's something about the image of God that will always be crucified because we continue to crucify each other. And so... When, with icons like Mama, Christ Breaks the Rifle. Another piece is La Sacrita Familia, which is depicting Latinx family um, you know, in the desert you know, fleeing. Um, these as are some the, the Holy icons Family, that, right? The Holy Family, yes.
0: Portraying the Holy right. Family as, as Latinx Refugee. um, refugees or immigrants. Yeah.
1: Undocumented people, yeah. Um, but with all of these, there's been this huge resistance. Um, there's, yes, there's people who uh, they've embraced the images have been really helpful to them, in their communities. But then there's been this whole other group of people that it's, they resist it, and for them it's, again, it's there's something about the image or the um, imago day. Uh, it within uh, Mary depicted as a black woman and Christ as a black man. Something about that they can't get past. So what that is, it's also a mirror, though. It's something that's mirroring back on them, and so, just as an, an another story though, with this, I mean, you know, for one of the first, uh, an early icon that I did, and I think this is what how it um, connects to uh, social justice and having that dialogue is, uh, I did this icon. Well, I was trying to paint an icon of Christ the Pantocrator, which is Christ the teacher and, you know, Jesus giving the sign of blessing. He's holding a holy book. And this is ridiculous, but I ended up calling it Baby Hands Jesus because there's something about it. I just couldn't get right. And I had just started painting. So his hand was like really tiny <laughs> and his face was, you know, oh, regular size. Yeah, it was really, it was, yeah. and I got really frustrated with it. And so I ended up just taking it and putting it on a shelf and I just forgot about it. Well, I got some gold leaf, new gold leaf. I wanted to try it out and I was looking for something. And I said, oh, so I took, I found that. I was like, ah, I didn't like it anyway. So I gold leafed over it. But when I did that, I noticed that if you put it far away, it looked like a gold leaf board, but if you, you kind of got up close to it, you could see the raised face of Christ. And so I said, oh, this is something. And so I had two friends who were priests and they came in and and they both saw it at the same time. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's the cloud of unknowing. And just briefly, The Cloud of Unknowing is a book written by a you know, fourteenth century author. And to kind of sum it up a little bit, that it's really saying that we can knowledge will only get us so far, but the more that we kind of put God under a cloud of forgetting or cloud of unknowing, the more that we'll connect him through the heart. Yeah. Um, but I tell that story because I think what that gets at the heart of is like they saw it they named what it was and therefore it had become a new gift and so i think for us and when we're really having a hard time with these images some of these things we need each other to help us to see like to name the racism that could be within ourselves to name the ways that we're not loving our neighbor well or ourselves well or you know caring for the poor you know feeding the hungry and um and so i think that is really and we have to kid ourselves i mean i grew up in a church my dad was a pastor we have to kid ourselves if everyone in our congregations completely agrees or has the same life experience <laughs> you know you gotta be kidding yeah. me and so even in these places in these communities where even if we're really tight-knit there's things that we're we have to wrestle with and h- wrestle with and hard conversations that are there and need to happen and it's my hope that you know images like mama La sacred of familia and you know the good shepherdess the trinity that we painted can do that. And, um, and so I think that's really how I, what icons can do is they can really teach us to see in new ways and and also see in ways that we're not seeing well, <laughs> seeing in ways we're not seeing well, but yeah.
0: No, you're right. And, and I will say that, you know, anytime I, I share, um, your image of the Christ breaks the rifle, particularly is the one that I hear from most from friends who, you know they grew up in the south so they you know culturally are aware of christianity and and you know they don't they don't ascribe to a different belief system they're just not like you know they don't even christmas and easter they're just like yes i believe in god and that's you know that's my faith um but they have a lot of issues with Christianity with with the uh, with the church and i, I me too <laughs> um, yeah. so, um but that's who i hear from the most when i post something like that it's like yes that's what i want to believe yeah. god is well, like can, that's what i, I can, want to believe the church
1: believes right yeah you know what well, i'm saying I it's, say just, too, it, just... it's
0: yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, just add, <laughs> no, it's
1: okay. Just to add on to that. I mean, I think when you have people that are resisting images or see like an image, like you're saying, like Christ breaks the rifle. When they're resisting something that there's something that they're, they're trying to protect God and something or the God that they yeah. built up in their head. But the thing yep. is, is like, God does, God doesn't need protecting and you can be pretty much sh- be sure that when you're trying to protect God, you're protecting your own idol, or an idol which is the exact opposite of an icon. And so again, these people who these people who are clinging with, you know, as I say, white-knuckle grip on their guns trying to yeah. protect something. Like Yeah. There's something there that we so much of our country has made uh, an idol out of guns because they're more concerned about protecting guns than than children. And there's this whole, you know, guns in the country mean something completely different than guns in the city, and there's just so many hard <laughs> conversations that that need to the happen. You know of it. yeah, yeah, and it, it can I, be I really do, difficult. But.
0: I do think it's interesting because I hear I hear the pushback again. I'm in Texas. I mean, my goodness, the guns have more rights than the children. Um, but I also hear from people who normally aren't drawn to you know they don't normally respond to posts i make about spirituality or god or religion or faith but those they they're drawn to they're more drawn to a jesus like that than they are um a jesus that usually they're confronted with by their friends or their you know their community or just being in the south um which is you know uh a God, guns, and glory kind of Jesus, you know? Right. Um, and so, and that's just an example, but that is the one I've heard from most, either with pushback or with, it's such a compelling vision of Jesus, of God, of justice, of um, peace and safety, um, that people who are even, I would say, nominal Christians or, or wouldn't really call themselves Christians but wouldn't call themselves anything else um, are even more it's a, it's the more compelling. And, and I think that's, you know, I could write an essay about that, about how Jesus, you know, how we will lay down our weapons and we will learn more no more. But, right. um, but the image is so striking and it's so, you know, it's, it's also a mix of the modern and the historical because there weren't guns when Jesus was walking this earth, you know? Um, and so it brings Jesus in the context of, there were weapons, there was war, there was violence. Jesus suffered at the hands of people um, who were violent against him, but, um, but to bring him into a modern context and say like, these weapons of war, not just weapons in general and war in general, this, right. in this context. Um, and I think that's that's a really powerful way that I've seen and it's a good sort of segue to the next question. But I've seen your your iconography and others. I, I really love modern saints as well. I don't know if you Gracie, if you yeah. follow Gracie. Um, I have her up there. Oh. Um, and um, for those who can't see on the video, I'm just pointing to various icons and artwork <laughs> behind me uh, in the image. So, um, but I um, that is something that I find. You know, the artwork itself becomes the it says, more, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, that old adage, and it really is, becomes true. Um, one thing I love uh, about your icons is, and, and Gracie's as well, and, and others, but about yours is the representation of gender, of various ethnicities, of sexual orientations, of skin tones, etc. Can you talk about your process a little bit? Um, like when deciding what ethnicity or race or gender or um, to include LGBTQ, um you know rainbow flags or or um a rainbow of some sort in in your uh, icons what so for example your ruth and naomi icon you painted them as black women uh or darker skinned women mm-hmm. um the women and the ethnicities and the rainbow aspect all in your trinity uh you know sort of that take on rubla's icon is amazing I just would love to hear you talk about when you're deciding how and what um, to do with those on, on ones maybe that aren't commissions and it's just sort of your your vision
1: yeah well may- maybe I'll start with Christ specifically because I think it gets at the question pretty quickly and then kind of can uh, say some of the other things I mean I think what's happened is just historically and I think what's the pro- what's happened in America, which I think is really sad, is that we basically locked Jesus into one image, that image being mm-hmm. a white, you know, blonde, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed man, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and looking like Bon Jovi. Yeah, and really, what happened <laughs> is you, yeah. I mean, there's so there's so much to why that happened. I mean, you can look to Warner Salman, is a is a painting that he did. It's called the uh, face, the head of Christ. It's also now called the Protestant icon and it's almost like Jesus it was like a 70s yearbook photo where wow. he's like look to the side you know <laughs> we had it we had it in the church I grew up in but he's a white man he's a white man and this image was literally given out to every soldier in world war ii before they went overseas like they had a little card of it so it was just everywhere. I mean
0: just the title the Protestant icon The yeah Protestant I don't know if it was named that it then but it to is its now. ubiquity <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
1: But you know, it's so it was everywhere. But the thing is, is that okay? So if if Jesus is white, then potentially God is white, and then therefore authority is white. And so, what does that then make p- someone who's white look at a person who is of color, or what does that make a person of color feel about the person of Jesus and, and God as uh, being white? I mean, there's a uh, a priest that one of the priests in St. Louis here, he had a, a woman in his congregation who was black. She grew up in a predominantly white church and uh, all the artwork was of white angels and saints and Jesus and Mary were all white. And for years into her late 20s, she thought that black people couldn't go to heaven because of the artwork in their church, which is just awful. Oh. But that's just that what she grew up with. So it says something about, again, and, and, and in the work that I do, with um iconography and when i even early on when i first before i even started there's been this ongoing specifically in the episcopal church i've had a lot of conversations in the episcopal church but all over too the catholic universal catholic churches and like small c for sure Uh but is this conversation about representation and it's most of the commissions that i've gotten since i've started have really revolved around uh new, new representations of God, not only in gender, but also in ethnicity. And, uh, you know, there's a a congregation in Salisbury, North Carolina that wanted to do the icon of the Pentecost, but they wanted it to more reflect their congregation now, kind of bridging space and time. And so we was, the form was the same and there's Mary, but the, all the disciples instead were, you know, men, women, some disabled, some, uh, you know, little children there, you know, black, white, and so I think it, you know, people, you know, as a doctor, as a homeless man, I thought it was a really beautiful idea, I and it was that. a really beautiful one, and fun icon to paint, but these conversations are happening in the church, and so for me, like, the Trinity um, was a commission with Zudi Jones, and and really, I think, it was just a, the rube, using rube icon was just a beautiful way to kind of to really again what icons are trying to do is take all these symbols and um, metaphors and meaning and that really metaphor is really the only way that we can actually talk about God. And I think that's just what's so often what's happened We're we keep lock trying to I mean it's just like been a classic phrase like put God in a box but we've been trying to lock God and Jesus into these images for so long and we just need to let go <laughs> and I think I you
0: know, I'm I just really quickly was going to add, you know, I, I don't want to embar, I don't want to uh, call them out. So someone in my life, I, when you released the Christ, the mother hen um, yeah. icon, right? she, um, I, I said, you know, do you know what this is? What story this is? And she said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you under my wings um like gather you like chicks under my wings um and i said yes and i said do you know what the title of it is and i told her and she was like jumped back and had this offense look on her face and it took a second of us talking through this is straight from the gospel from <laughs> jesus's mouth this is not a wild liberal interpretation <laughs> or right uh a dis a complete you know abandonment of Scripture. This is straight from the horse's mouth, yeah. um, and so any offense you have, it's it's a discomfort because it's not lining up with your image or with your comfort level or comfort zone or whatever in terms of talking about God and Jesus. And uh, and so I knew like at that point, let's not talk about the others <laughs> that are my favorites yet. <laughs> let's leave out rublev's icon, you know, or your Trinity icon for another time, but um. But even that, you know, it's just so confronting when it's not your box. And and you painted exactly what the scripture says, what Jesus Himself says. I I what did you get that? You laughed whenever I mentioned that one. Did you get that kind of response elsewhere? Yeah, someone
1: <laughs> well, just because of other you know, icons I've did, some someone online mm-hmm. was like, Oh, okay, so Jesus is a chicken now? Okay, great. Yeah, whatever. You know, just like and then, oh, then you have,
0: well, well that, now
1: yeah, so, but then, you know, you have these people online, so a few priests were like, well, actually, you know, Jesus, he, he, it's a beautiful passage. He actually referred to himself in the feminine. It's a really beautiful thing, you know. And that, that icon actually comes from uh, a mosaic that's in a, a church that's in the Mount of Olives there. And it's a kind of a, my interpretation of the mosaic there, but. You know, so it's been done before but for some people it's just they have such a hard time with some of these these metaphors and and symbols but jesus literally <laughs> referred to himself but we pick and choose our metaphors. metaphors
0: we're okay with our fortress and right. our rock and we're okay with a father and we're okay uh-huh. with a shepherd and you know even you know this it's it's so commonly on display emmy kegler writes beautifully about it in her book one coin found about you know that the in Luke 15 we have uh the lost sheep and God is the shepherd and we have the prodigal son and God is the father, but we have the woman who lost her coin and that's not God. That's <laughs> another well, story Jesus, to he's illustrate always, it. Yeah, he's all, Jesus
1: is always doing this in the gospels, and he's he's never saying like the moment we say God, God it is like God it is this is the same thing. We're kind of creating a God we built up in our head. Jesus in the gospel is always like the kingdom of heaven is kind of like you know a treasure hidden in the field you know god's kind of like the father who's you know left and then finally come home you know it's just it's always you know it's approximation it's not something that's that's nailed down which i think is beautiful so
0: i do too because because if there could be a perfect description of god right that's that's not that's that god's too small yeah (laughs) that god's too small um One of the last things i want to i want to talk to you about is visio divina i know you're um i assume you are familiar with this it's a contemplative um, spiritual practice um those of you listening may have heard of lectio divina or lectio divina depending on how you pronounce it um which is sort of a meditation and mindfulness and and contemplation practice uh, uh reading or hearing scripture and this is visio divina so Lectio being listen, visio being to look or to see, um, the divine to behold the divine. Can you talk about visio divina particularly, um, you know what it is, and maybe walk us through? If somebody's listening to this and they say, okay, I'm gonna purchase one of his icons, I'm gonna pull up something and behold. I want to, I want this to start being a spiritual formation practice for me. Um, how do we do it? <laughs> How can someone start to implement that? What does it look like?
1: Well, I can just kind of suggest, I mean, what I think it's doing. I mean, Visio Divina, like vision of the divine, right? So I think for us and what, why it it can can be very important for us as individuals, but also us as people is that in our time, with social media advertisements, all this stuff, like we are constantly being inundated with images like all day (laughs) with, you know, uh, just it's constant, you know, TV, we're driving down the road, just, you know, billboards, whatever, like it's just constant, specifically social media. And I think we, we, we've gotten to a point where we're so quick to speak into something before. And so I think that that is what hopefully icons can do, but with the practice of Visio Divina, it's really about the practice. It's it's about observing and not being so quick to speak into something, but to really let it ruminate in your your mind. And so typically with Visio Divina, it's um, taking an image or images, but usually it's usually one image and as a community reflecting on that. And sometimes this is done with a leader. Sometimes it's done as, just as a group. But uh, in certain formats, it's maybe you're observing a piece. So They're observing the good shepherdess behind you. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I happen vehicle. to do okay. that. Or Rublev's Trinity, you know. Mm-hmm. Rublev's Trinity, very famous icon. And maybe one word strikes you. You see something that's mm-hmm. just like hands or table, oh. you know and I'll share my example
0: in good shepherdess is safe
1: safe sure yeah that's beautiful yeah and again you do these things that kind of arise and then maybe um I've been in some beautiful versions where it was taking an image uh, uh Van Gogh's depiction of the prodigal son and uh which uh Henry Nowen the theologian and author really loved but just seeing that and maybe a story that came out of that and sharing that. And so but I think it, what it's really trying to do is teach us how to observe and take the time to observe that it's not something that we have to be so quick into. And so, yeah, I encourage people that if there's, you know, especially during this time of Lent, like specific images that maybe you can put in front of you, and it doesn't even necessarily ha- have to be an icon. I think for but for us the learning how to observe is a i think a really important practice in just engaging with visual art but there's been some beautiful uh new there's uh, a group in cincinnati that's been doing tarot divina so really a practice of observing the land and nature Um, there's lecto divina is it t-e-r-r-a t-e-r-r-a yeah not three r's (laughs) t-e-r-r-a Got um, it. Okay. <laughs> right, but this wow. I think this how do we you know see and uh, and be pay attention rightly and I think really that's the work of not only being human but also of, of as an artist is I'm just trying to be more present and it's work that we all all can do as we you know try to see God in our own backyards and you know if you're looking for Jesus you know in some way go walk around your neighborhood you'll probably find him. But the way that we observe art can just be another way to do that together.
0: Okay, that was my conversation with the thoughtful and supremely talented Kelly Lattimore. Make sure you also check out the Instagram post on the show account at Let It Matter Podcast to see all the images referenced in this conversation today I do want to note a minor change in format to this podcast right now is the time when we would normally do the section on why this matters and as i've considered various aspects of this show my hope is that that question is answered within the interview or the conversation with my guest my hope is that by this time we by the time we get to this point in the show you already know why this matters to me and hopefully to a wider range of people and are considering if and why it matters to you. So I won't be doing my own version of this section anymore but I do hope you will take some time after each episode plays to consider the things that were compelling to you or surprising or convicting or energizing or comforting I hope you'll share the episodes with your people and discuss them amongst yourselves or online or just between you and God. My thanks again to Kelly for joining me today. You can find him on Twitter at KL Icons on um, Instagram at Kelly Lattimore Icons, or you can view his gallery, his store. Um, purchase digital prints or originals. You can commission all of those things on his website at KellyLattimoreIcons.com. I'm going to link to these in the show notes as well. Before we go, if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode before the benediction and hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to this podcast. And if you're listening in Apple, leaving a rating and a review is so huge, especially for a new podcast like this one. And I would also just really love to read your feedback on the show. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you this benediction once again from John O'Donohue's book To Bless the Space Between Us. The blessing is called For Presence. Awaken to the mystery of being here and enter the quiet immensity of your own presence. Have joy and peace in the temple of your senses. Receive encouragement when new frontiers beckon. Respond to the call of your gift and the courage to follow its path. Let the flame of anger free you of all falsity. May warmth of heart keep your presence aflame. May anxiety never linger about you. May your outer dignity mirror an inner dignity of soul. Take time to celebrate the quiet miracles that seek no attention. Be consoled in the secret symmetry of your soul. And may you experience each day as a sacred gift woven around the heart of wonder. Amen.